Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Well, we've been studying uh, the life of Jesus, the untouched, unfiltered life of Jesus, the untouched photo of Jesus. Uh, We're letting the Bible speak for itself about what Jesus has to say about who he is and uh, what he is about. And uh, we've been studying that in the Gospel of John. Uh, I've told you numerous times, hopefully remember, gospel simply means good news. So anytime you see the Gospel of John or Gospel of Mark, it just means the good news of John or the good news according to Mark. John was a disciple of Jesus, and out of his firsthand account, he wrote his uh, gospel, or he wrote his good news. And what is the good news? The good news is that God did not leave us in our brokenness. The good news is that God did not leave it up to us to make our way to him. He did not leave it up to us to uh, become good enough or, or holy enough or pure enough, but instead God came to us. And John says, let me tell you about the good news of God coming to humanity. And so he, for his, uh, the reason why he writes is very clear in John chapter uh, 20. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And then he says, But these are written. He said, I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here's something that we all have in common. We are all searching for life. We all want to step out of an existence of merely surviving from day to day, and we want to experience a life that is worth living. And so John says, look, I'm writing this stuff down because I'm hoping that you will one day come to discover what I've discovered, that Jesus is life. John 13, uh, we're going to be in John 14 today, but John 13, I told you last week, marks a transition. It is known as the Upper Room Discourse. And all of the crowds have left Jesus. The uh, healing crusades are in the past. His feeding of the multitudes are a thing of the past. No more mountainside sermons. No more calming the storms. It is Jesus with his 12 disciples in his upper room discourse where Jesus imparts his final instructions to his disciples. Now at this time, he's about you know six hours something away from his arrest. So he's hours away from the cross And he has gathered his 12 disciples together. It is the final chalk talk before the big game where he is imparting this final words to 12 men who would be given the challenge, the mission, to change the world. And here's what I find interesting. They were not even close to being ready for this challenge. Matter of fact, if something doesn't change, these boys are going to crash and burn. And Jesus knew it. So he gives them this challenge, and yet on the, other ha- on the other hand, he knew they were not ready. He placed them in a position where they were underqualified, undereducated, and now as their leader, the one who held this ragtag group of disciples together, their leader is now leaving them, and in his final speech, he says, hey boys, remember everything that I've taught you, and remember to do it. Now the odds were not in their favor. And so we're going to start in verse 15 of chapter 14. We're going to skip verse 1 through 14, not because they're not important, but because we already went through them uh, in a series several months ago called I Am. It's where Jesus gives the seven I Am statements, and one of the I Ams is I am the way, the truth, and the life. I encourage you to read that on your own, but we're going to jump in verse 15. Now as verse 15 starts a new thought, still part of the upper room discourse, Jesus with his disciples. And if you have your Bibles, there's probably a heading over that uh, 
uh, over this passage that we're in that says something like Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, uh, which is true, but I want us to look at why Jesus needed to go into this talk on the Holy Spirit. And it's found in the first several verses of our text block today. Verse 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All right, that's pretty heavy. Remember, Jesus is getting ready to leave, and he says, boys, if you love me, you're going to do everything that I've told you to do. And then he repeats it in verse 21. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus answered them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, so be prepared to answer. Not like first service that just kind of sat there in silence. I hate them. No, I'm joking. Totally joking. Totally joking. Looking at these three blocks, these three passages, what is our text block going to be about? What is Jesus trying to communicate? Louder, I'm old. Obedience, keeping his word, keeping his commands. So this is what this entire text is going to be about, about keeping my commandments. Now, you've got to put yourself in the position of the disciples. Anytime you read the scripture, you want to have a general idea of what's going on. Imagine Jesus has been with you for three years, and now he's leaving. He's just told you he's about to, you know, the, the, the cross awaits. And then he tells you, hey, remember, if you love me, to do everything that I've told you to do. Now, have you ever had a conversation with somebody that was a pretty serious conversation and you could tell by the look in their eyes that you were overwhelming them with everything that you had to say? If you ever had the talk with your child, maybe you saw that look in their eyes, they're like, what is going on? You're overwhelming them uh, with information, which I, some parents abhor that. I actually found great joy in watching my children squirm, but that's just me. I'm a little odd. And so I wonder if Jesus had this moment that he's like getting ready to leave and he tells his disciples, listen, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my words. You're going to do what I've asked you to do. And I wonder if the the disciples kind of had this look on their face like, there is no possible way we can do this. Look, we've been with you for three years. If you leave us, we're just going to, you know, we're, we're gone. We can't do this on our own. And I wonder if their faces communicated that and and and. Because Jesus then goes on and he gives them the resources of how that will be accomplished. Remember the disciples, in many ways, they're weak. Uh, much of uh, uh, what Jesus did and said, they didn't understand. They lacked faith. In a few hours, when the arrest comes, they kind of all scatter and go underground. And so now imagine that person, the disciples, and that mindset kind of weak of faith many times. Jesus asked them, How long will I be with you? And oh, you have little faith. And now Jesus says, I'm getting ready to leave. You're going to be on your own, and you have to do everything that I've called you to do. Remember, if you love me, keep my commandments. It was an impossible task unless something changes. Here's something to know. Anytime that Jesus asks us to do something, he will also give us the resources to do it. And so he wasn't dropping an unbearable weight on the disciples saying, hey, good luck with this, boys. Anytime he will ask us to do something, he will also give us the resources needed to do it. And here's the good news. The Christian faith, obeying the commandments, was never meant to be accomplished by your own effort and by your own power. And so Jesus lays something pretty heavy upon him. If you love me, keep my commandments. But then he's going to give them the resources needed to fulfill his final words. So we're going to jump in, join me as we pray, and let's see what God has for us. Lord, as we enter uh, your word, as we open it, would it 
leap off of the pages, but it uh, just grip us and speak over us and to us and would it transform us and would it uh, put us on the path that you desire for us and Lord, would it close the gap? Would, would we sense the presence of God coming near to us and the love of God and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God? And would you convict us in the areas that need to be convicted, not with condemnation, for that is not from you, but would you speak to us in the areas that you want us to step up or, or to step into? Or would you convict us in a way that offers us hope to move out of a situation that is not pleasing to you? And so we just invite you to have your way in us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, if I was to ask, uh, as you walked in today, uh, do you love Jesus, I would highly doubt if there would be many people that would have said, nope, not interested. I would think most people would say, you know, yes, I, I, I love Jesus. But notice what Jesus is saying in the passage. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Meaning, it's not so much what you say, it's more what he sees. It's not so much what you say or we say, but it's what he sees. In other words, it's not your talk, it's your walk. It's not your words that prove your love. But he says, look, it's in your doing. And if you love me, here's how you will show it. By keeping my commandments. Which isn't unlike any other relationship. If you're in a relationship and someone tells you that they love you, they say all the right things, but they don't demonstrate that love through their actions, that love is shallow. It's frustrating. And so Jesus is basically saying the same thing, that look, boys, if you love me, you just can't say it, it's shallow. But if you demonstrate it through your actions, that is what I'm looking for. Matthew 15, Jesus is echoing the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 29, where he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so what he's saying is, boys, if you love me, don't say the right things. Keep my commandments. Do what I've told you to do. What you've experienced the last three years, continue to live that out. It's not how much, it's not what you say, it's what he sees. And what Jesus is looking for is the evidence of a heart that has been turned towards him, and that evidence is through our actions or through our obedience. Now, obedience is not spoken about much in churches today. It's kind of become a taboo word, and we would rather talk about words like blessing and uh, words like freedom and words like heaven and words like prosperity, but uh, you can't get away from what Jesus talks about when it comes to obedience. Matter of fact, Jesus makes it pretty clear that if you want freedom, if you want blessing, it travels through obedience. And so he's about to leave them. He drops a command on them that they can never fulfill. The challenge for them to make disciples is a challenge they could never step into, never accomplish. And then he's about to give them the resources they will need in order to accomplish the challenge he's given them. John 14, 16. He says, and I will ask the Father. In other words, he's saying, look boys, if you love me, keep my commandments, but don't worry, I'm going to ask the Father something now. We may pray, and you know, we, God may not answer a prayer for whatever reason. Sometimes you know, maybe they're just foolish prayers or they're you know, selfish-based. But how many prayers of Jesus do you think have gone unanswered? Your answer should be zero, right? So in other words, whatever Jesus asks for, he's going to get it. And so he says, boys, don't worry. I'm going to ask the Father something. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I'm leaving soon, but I'm going to ask God who's going to send you another helper. Now, we lose the fullness of this passage in our English translation. In the Greek, there are two words for another. 
The first is heteros, which means another of a different kind. And the second is alos, which means another of the same kind. What Jesus is saying, boys, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another helper, alos. Another of the same kind. In other words, he's saying, I'm leaving, but God will send another one who is, hear me, who is just like me. He's, he's, he, he won't somewhat be like me, or he won't resemble me, or he won't be a lesser version of me, but I'm leaving, but I will ask the Father, and he will send someone who is just like me. He goes on to say, look at that, that word helper. He says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another, an alos, just like me, helper, to be with you forever. Depending on what translation you have, there may be several uh, ver- words that you have for helper. Um, the Holman will say another counselor. Uh, KJV, King James will say comforter. Some will say helper. Some will say advocate, someone who comes alongside. The Bible is, uh, the translators are trying to take a word that is difficult for us because of so many meanings. And so they've assigned several different descriptors of uh, what this, the spirit that is coming uh, of that Jesus, that the Father is sending, what he will be like. The word that is used is uh, paraclete or parakletos. Paraclete, not parakeet. It's not that God is sending a little yellow bird. But what he's saying is that I will ask the Father and he will send another paraclete, someone called to one side, someone's called to one aid, a helper or an advocate. Jesus is saying, I know you're bummed out that I'm leaving, and I know I just dropped a huge request that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, but don't fear. I'm asking the Father who will send someone just like me that will empower you to do what I've asked you to do. Because the reality of it is, you can't do this on your own. And if the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, does not come, none of this happens. And two chapters later, when Jesus is speaking again about the Holy Spirit, he says this in John 16. He says, because I have told you these things uh, to you, sorrow has filled your heart. What has he told him? He said, I'm getting ready to leave you. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, in other words, if I don't leave you, the helper, the parakletos, will never come and will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, a couple things. Notice it, it's him. It's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not this mysterious force. It's the, the sign, part of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, uh, God uh, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, as good as it's been having you around me. Now, you imagine if Jesus came to live with you for three months. How I mean, that would be pretty cool. Uh, you know, aside of, you know, needing to clean out some things in our house before he gets there. But you know what I'm saying, right? Jesus comes to live with you, and it's like he's parting cars on I-10 like it's the Red Sea. You're just going through, right? Jesus comes to live with you. You're like, Jesus, I have a headache. Oh, never mind. It's gone, right? Instantly, right? It's there. Uh, guests come over. You know, 20 people show up, and all you got is a couple pieces of chicken. Jesus is like, no, poof, and, you know, everyone eats. And Hey, you'd never run out of wine at a party, right? That would be cool. And so if Jesus was with you and your dog got hit by a car and died, Jesus, instantly on the spot to, to heal your dog, right? If Jesus was with you and your cat got hit by a car, Jesus, instantly on the spot to bury it, right? He would just be there instantly to be like, get that thing out of here. It's the devil's tool. And so it would be pretty cool. But Jesus says, look, as good as it is having me with you, it's better that I leave you, which seems odd to us. And the reason this passage seems odd, if we're honest, is because we view the Holy Spirit as kind of this third string of the Godhead. And so there's God the Father, cool. God the Son we can relate to because we see, you know, in the Gospels, and wouldn't that be awesome? And then there's like, well, then there's God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, it's better that I leave. And we're like, what could be better than Jesus? 
And oftentimes we view the Holy Spirit as like this third string. And so we don't grasp this, but Jesus says, look, it's better that I go. It's better that I leave you. John 14, uh, 17, or uh, he says that he will send a helper, a paracletos, that will be with us forever. Never going to leave you. John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. In other words, the spirit that is coming, not everybody's going to receive the spirit. It's only those who are following me and I will send him to you. Now, here's where we're going to spend some of our time on John 14, 18. Notice what he says. You know him, meaning, hey, you know the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, Jesus is rolling out something that is life-changing at this moment. If this first doesn't happen, if the Spirit doesn't come, none of what you are familiar with ever takes place. The disciples remain fickle and they're led by their emotions. If this doesn't happen, the message of the gospel does not break out of Jerusalem and does not jump oceans and and spread. Twelve men remain weak, filled with no authority. Twelve men remain powerless and without boldness. Disciples are not made. If this first doesn't happen, reveal doesn't exist and you and I are not here. There was that much writing on this idea that when I leave, it's better because the Spirit, the Paracletos, is coming and He will ignite something in you. You know Him because He dwells with you, but now He will be in you. Everything at this moment is about to change. He who was with you will be in you. He who dwells with you There's a shift coming is what Jesus is getting at. There's a gap between with you and in you. It's a fundamental shift, a life-altering change that's taking place. In other words, what he's saying is the God that was with you, Holy Spirit God, for thousands of years in the Old Testament, which the disciples were aware of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, typically in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit had a come-and-go relationship with people. Would come, fall upon people, and then would depart. And typically, the Holy Spirit's work was upon kings and leaders and prophets and, and you know, uh, uh, people of, of that nature. Meaning that if you and I lived in Old Testament times, we would have never experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying is, look, the Holy Spirit has been with you because you've been familiar with all the thousands of years of the Old Testament. You're aware of the Old Testament history and the Holy Spirit being with you. But now something is happening. The Holy Spirit will just not be with you, the nation of Israel, but now he will be in you, the individual. Not heard of before. It was, okay, so there's the with you as the nation, but now it's in you as an individual. And if this doesn't happen, what you know of Christianity today does not exist. It's that powerful. That's why Jesus says, it's better that I leave you, because here's what he's saying. If I, if I stay with you, I can walk next to you, and you can see me uh, turn the water and the wine and heal people and raise Lazarus, and all that's cool. I did that so you could see it and hear it because I was with you, but with you will not accomplish the mission that I have for you. The only way that it will happen is if I go away from you, and I'm not with you, but the Holy Spirit comes in you. As we're talking about this, I want you to start to filter some of this through your own personal life. And you're looking at the importance that Jesus is playing, uh, uh, shedding light on this idea of the paracletos coming, the spirit coming, the helper, the, 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 the uh, advocate is, is coming. And I want you to filter that through your own life and say, well, how do I really view the Holy Spirit? Is, it really as, is he really a big of a deal as Jesus is making here? Like, hey, it's better that I leave you. 
with you and in you. Because with you will not get the job done, but in you will. Just before Jesus ascends to heaven, Acts chapter 2 uh, tells the account of Jesus' last conversation with his disciples. And he tells his disciples, all right, listen, I want you to get to the upper room and I want you to wait for the Spirit to come. All right, I'm leaving you. I go up. The Spirit comes down. But I want you to get to the upper room in Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to do anything, right? His, he told them, go out and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's part of your mission. That's what you're going to do. You're going to spread the gospel message, keep all of my commandments. But before you do any of that, get to Jerusalem. Go to the upper room and wait for the Spirit. And they're like, right, gotcha. But we can start preparing our first sermon, right, Jesus? He's like, no, no, no. Don't do anything until you get to the upper room and you wait for the Holy Spirit. And they're like, oh, got it now. We should probably get the band together, right, and start practicing our worship songs. They're like, nothing. Get to the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Oh, we should do nothing. Do nothing, Jesus says. Okay. But we should work on the church bulletin, right? We should start doing that. He's like, no. Listen, do nothing until you get to the upper room and you wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Because if you try any of this on your own, you will fail. Because you have not been given the resource to do what I've asked you to do. And sometimes we feel like we're failing in our Christian experience because the resource is available, but the resource has not been made personal to us. So Jesus says, hey, before you do anything, man, you're weak, you're denying me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But if you wait for the Holy Spirit to come, everything's going to change. Matter of fact, Acts 1.8 says it like this. But you will receive power when this Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power, it's dunamis. It's where you get a dynamite. You will receive an explosive power. But if you try it on your own, you will fail. Hey, reveal, if you're trying to live your Christian experience on your own, I can guarantee you, you are frustrated in it. Because it was never meant to be lived in such a way. We can't live the Christian experience under our own authority, under our own power. Listen how Paul talks about this idea of with you versus in you. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has come. In fact, Paul says it like this, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He's not just with you, but He's in you. With you was for a nation, in you is personal. Anyway, uh, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, now he's like, well, okay, well, is it Christ in us, or is the Spirit in us, or God's in us? Yes! It's the Godhead, right? Three in one. We'll talk about that later. We've talked about it in the past. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit... Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Paul's saying, look, it's not with you anymore. He's in you. Jesus goes on to say in John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as as orphans, but I will come to you. In other words, like, hey, did you really think I could leave you? You know, I've been with you for three years. John said in John 13, 1, that he loved us to the end. Jesus is like, look, I just can't leave you as orphans. I'm going, but someone who is coming that's better for you even than me. It's the Spirit that will not just be with you, but will be in you. 
Verse 19 and 20 says, Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live in that day. You will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Hey, it used to be that I and the Father are one, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And now Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, wait, here's what's happening, is that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. It's like now it's Dr. Seuss all working out. I mean, this is a fundamental shift in the Christian faith. At this moment, what Jesus is saying, the Spirit is coming and it changes everything. And then he wraps up verse 21 and says, whoever uh, has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. All right, so here's some application and then uh, we'll finish up. God provides no resources for you to live your version of the Christian life. He provides no resources for you to live your version of the Christian life. He does provide resources for you to allow his life to be lived through you. And there's a difference. Paul says it like this in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. All of us should have this verse memorized. Paul says, look, it's not about me anymore. It's not God empowering me to live my version of what I want in Christianity. What Paul is saying is that he empowers us for his life to be lived through you. And the only way that happens is if the Spirit is dwelling in you. Now some of us, we're facing hard challenges. What I would call uh, a difficult obedience to Christ. Getting up and coming to church today, that's kind of an easy obedience. Now for some of you, if you didn't sleep last night, maybe it was you know, wretchedly horrible. But for most of us, this is an easy obedience. But there is some obedience that is really difficult. Maybe if somebody hurt you, the person that you love the most betrayed you and stabbed you and and now you are filled with bitterness and in your flesh you have every right to be hateful. But your spirit, Jesus is saying, you got to let it go. And if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. Hey, that's a difficult obedience. But Jesus says, but I'm not asking you to do it on your own because the spirit will come and will give you the resources needed to do what I've asked you to do. Or maybe the Spirit comes to you and, and, and says something about uh, changing uh, your business habits and, and uh, modeling honesty in your business. And, and that's a difficult obedience because it, it's, your, you know, it's your livelihood and, and you're struggling with that. Or maybe it's a sin that's been revealed to you and, and, and it's ugly and it's carried you away from being the man or the woman that you want to be. And it's a difficult obedience. Maybe you have to bring it out to the light and, and confess it to someone. Or maybe God's stirring something in you to do something that seems crazy. Or maybe you're being asked to stay in a marriage when your flesh wants to leave. It's a difficult obedience. But Jesus says, look, I'm not asking you to do any of this on your own. I will give you the resources needed, even in difficult obedience. Hey, Reveal family, looking at the larger text of this upper room discourse, the commandments... If we want to take it within the context of this, it's really all of the commandments, but the last two commandments that Jesus spoke about that he modeled to them, he says, hey, I just washed your feet, now you go wash others' feet. And then in verse 13, he says, listen, uh, chapter 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. And so he's kind of having these conversations with him, and he says, boys, listen, listen, if you love me, you're going to do exactly what I've done for you, you're going to do for others. Now, oftentimes we see this idea of the Holy Spirit as being between us and God. It's like this vertical uh, relationship. It keeps me from sinning, gives me the power to do what God wants me to do and to live his life through me. All of that is true. 
But there's a horizontal plane here as well, and this is what Jesus is saying, is that the Holy Spirit is not just about you and God, but it's about you and your community. That you cannot love your church, reveal, you can't love one another, we can't be the church that we're supposed to be unless the Holy Spirit is in us, moving in us, and flowing through us. So this idea, of the, it's, it's communal what Jesus is saying. It's better that I leave so the Spirit is in you because if he's not in you, this idea of church that you're going to try to put together, it's going to fail. I'm trying to get us ready for what I'm hoping is our next step. Right? We're trying for this space at Fresh and Easy and uh, talk to our architect, talk to the owner again last week, and I'm hoping very soon to be able to present you with a signed contract and say, all right, you know, now build out starts. And, hey, I'm hoping, but listen, the only way this works is if as a church, the Spirit is in us. Because you're going to be asked to fill in some gaps so the people who are coming after you that need to know Jesus will have an opportunity to experience Jesus. And some of you are here because of some faithful people that filled in the gaps that made it possible for your children or for you to be here. And I'm going to come back to you and say, hey, it's time for all of us to step up if we're going to make this work. And the only way you put your flesh down and let your spirit live is if his spirit is in you and flowing through you. Because for some of you, it will be a hard, difficult obedience. That means in your service and in how we're loving one another and how we're forgiving one another and how we're being generous, which we will need to be in order for this to happen. This is our future, I'm 90% sure. But if we don't do this together, if this idea of Jesus is saying, look, the Spirit is not just between you and God, but the Holy Spirit is about you and how you relate to the others in your family, church family, if we're not capitalizing on that, if we haven't surrendered, we're in trouble. Let me have the band come up as we close. We're in trouble. Personally, I've told you before, I am willing to bet the farm on this. I'm willing to go all in, all right? All chips go into the center. And that means I'm hoping, I'm trusting, I'm counting on us as a church that we're all going in together. And the way it happens, the way we become the church that we're called to be is by the Holy Spirit living his life through us. And that's my challenge to you. And so if you are existing today in a life of Christianity that seems weak, let me go, go and bring the lights down, boys, please, it, that, that seems weak and powerless, and if it's the same you know, sin that you keep tumbling in, or you've got bitterness towards other people, or you're not serving because you just can't seem to take that jump and sacrifice, and my, my response to you would be, what role is the Spirit playing in your life? Has there been any empowering to do anything other than what you can do naturally? And some of us, we're functioning in our Christianity based upon what we can do naturally, but we are not functioning in any way, shape, or form of what we do supernaturally. Because the Holy Spirit is kind of really not on our radar. And so today, I challenge you that you would invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to fill you and empower you. And that you would listen to the voice and the leading of God. And it's not just today, but it's every day that the Spirit would lead us and God would give us the resources to do what He's called us to do. That's our challenge. It's our challenge in living out a life that is pleasing to the Father. And so today, I encourage you as we close in worship that you would surrender whatever, that, whatever needs to be surrendered that you would invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and empower you 
And so, God, I pray that upon our church family. I pray for, for many of us, this is a missing component that we wonder why and we, we, our Christianity just kind of is this up and down and more down than up. And for many of us, it's because we've, we've placed the Holy Spirit as this third string part of the Godhead and yet you tell us that he's our advocate, he's our helper, he's our comforter, he's the one that reveals truth and strength. And would we begin our own study, our own journey towards grasping and understanding of the Holy Spirit. And so we invite you. Would you speak clearly to us in the next few moments? You can stand. believe that there's still greater work to do, greater things to be done right here in Surprise, right in El Mirage, right in our community. And I believe the way we step into being effective in that is by being led by your Spirit. And I pray that over our church. I pray that upon each person here. That we would begin our own journey of seeking the Spirit of God. I ask that you would fill us and empower us to live your life through us. Holy Spirit, I believe that you were speaking to some today. And my encouragement to you that is if... if the Spirit of God was speaking to you that you do not grieve Him. Which seems so odd, this idea of Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, that there are, are feelings or emotions that we can almost, if, if, if you can see it, that we can grieve Him. It's odd for us because oftentimes we see emotions as weakness and we want to remove those from anything to deal with God and yet we can grieve the Spirit of God. And so today, as he spoke to you, would you say yes to whatever that was? Would you step into that? Father, would you give us the resources, the strength, the empowering that we need as individuals and as a church to take this next step? I bless you, Reveal. I bless you this week to... Just sense the face of God smiling upon you and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. I bless you. In the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you'd like prayer, we'll have some people here who would love to pray for you. Don't run out if you'd like some prayer. And I'd love to see you again uh, back next week.
Uh, God bless you guys, and uh, have a wonderful week.